Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Daily Faceoff Show. Your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis. Here's your host, Frank Saravalli. A wacky night in the National Hockey League, second week of the NHL season. Today is Tuesday, October 19th, and I'm joined alongside former NHL front office executive and daily face-off analyst Steve Greeley. Greels, how are you doing? Doing good, Frank. Another, another weekday that gave us a lot of stuff to talk about, so excited to be back on. Yeah, no kidding. And by the way, it's starting to feel like hockey weather outside here in the northeast part of the U.S., at what point do you stop golfing? Is there a time of year or temperature that you can't play anymore? I, I just go from the cut to the power draw at this time of year. Get a little extra distance in the cold weather. So I'll keep it going as long as the courses stay open. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. I, my cutoff is like 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Anything less than that, and I'm not heading out. So let's dive into the latest that's going on around the National Hockey League. We'll set the timer at 2 minutes and 30 seconds and drop the puck on this. A pretty hefty suspension handed down to Evander Kane for violating the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. A 21-game suspension that carries nearly a $1.7 million loss in pay. And Steve, this is a really interesting situation. We There's a lot of layers to this, but this suspension only comes for one thing, and that's for submitting a fake vaccination card. Obviously would have put the entire San Jose Sharks team as well as their families at risk. And I think given all that's gone on, my reporting from back in June about him being persona non grata in the Sharks locker room, the gambling allegation, the domestic abuse allegation that the NHL said yesterday could not be substantiated, all that has piled up into a spot that's left the Sharks in a really uncomfortable position. So my question to you is, has Evander Kane, do you think, played his last game in a Sharks uniform? Well, Frank, I think what yesterday did was it it created a little clarity for the San Jose Sharks. Um, some of the accusations were not substantiated. And today, what I would expect the Sharks to be doing they now know how long the suspension is. You know, they, they were wondering, is it five games? Is it 82 games? What's going what's gonna to happen here? And the length of the suspension will provide opportunity for San Jose to have ownership meetings with management, management with coaches, uh, coaches bringing in the leadership group from the players. That's what I think is kind of starting now. And, and they have a, a timeline. They know it's 21 games. They know it's five to six weeks. So... Right now, I would anticipate San Jose's diving deep into what's next with Evander and how they're going to sort this out. Uh, you know, the clarity provided in the cap space, uh, there's no, he's not on the cap for the next 21 games. There's a lot of things that San Jose was able to find out yesterday. And Evander came out, and Evander came, came out himself and, you know, had his apologies and says he wants to be back playing. Um, I think the, the, the Sharks have a lot of, talking to do internally to figure out 
in the end, we don't know what's next because I don't think San Jose does. And that's something that in due time, we're certainly going to you know, have some answers. But I think San Jose will keep this close to the vest and keep talking internally for as long as they can, which we know is a five to six week period right now. Yeah, and my guess at this point is that some of those meetings have been ongoing for a little while. Will they move to terminate the contract? Is this something that they just say, hey, stay home and we'll figure it out? Who knows? But I just have a hard time believing, you know, given all that's gone on, that it's going to be tough to bring Evander Kane back and have him put on that jersey again. So let's move to from an off-ice incident to an on-ice incident last night. And that is Pavel Buchnevich of the St. Louis Blues. He'll have a hearing today with the Department of Player Safety for headbutting in Arizona. Uh, I don't know how or why this became a thing. Uh, you know, the NHL was up in arms over the weekend, or at least uh, the fan base in Edmonton was, about a, a headbutt or what appeared to be a headbutt from Rasmus Anderson to Kyler Yamamoto. Of course, it ended up just being a $5,000 fine, the most allowable under the CBA for what really was a punch. If you saw an angle in our Tim Peel, our NHL rules analyst, broke it down perfectly with the actual view that player safety looked at on dailyfaceoff.com. What do you see coming here for Buchnevich? Well, I think you're right, Frank. Headbutts are trending, and I don't think the league wants to, uh, that to keep going. So I think with Buchnevich, you know, he will get a game or two here, maybe two max. And one of the reasons I think there's some games coming is, don't forget, he was involved with the Anthony Mantha uh, cross-check to the face and the Washington uh, Rangers game last spring. So I think Bushnevich, hey, he's just talked to the, the league six, seven months ago, whatever it was. He's back in front of him again. There's little things that I noticed with that headbutt. He left his feet. He was off the ice. That's something we talk about a lot. You know, he's, he, you know, and he's two inches in the air getting that headbutt. I don't think the, the league's going to like that. I will say about Bushnevich, you know, to me, he's a competitive player. I don't want to see the headbutt, but I also like that this isn't a guy that backs down. And I think that's one of the things that St. Louis liked about him. So unfortunately, he might have to sit for a few nights here, but uh, hopefully he learns from the lesson. Maybe the league cuts down on the uh, the headbutts that we're seeing. <laughs> I mean, I just I can't understand the lunacy involved. A guy wearing a helmet hits another player in the head wearing a helmet. Like, did you think you were going to do any damage there? And I get that it's just you know, heat of the moment, passion, you're angry and you want to do something and the, the linesman's tying up your hands. So that's your next course of action. But still, uh, seems kind of stupid to me. And yeah, I think that's a perfect uh, reminder for everyone that Buchnevich was dealing with uh, the Department of Player Safety just last season. So from my estimation, I think Buchnevich ends up getting two games here uh, to sit and think about it. And certainly going to be a loss, a 60-point player out of your lineup for the St. Louis Blues. So I think you're right. One minimum, two, probably likely given the history. So what about the Chicago Blackhawks? Interesting start to the season for them. Really disappointing for a team that had made so many off-season changes, so many new faces. And perhaps in some ways, all those new faces and, and maybe the lack of chemistry that comes with that uh, is a, a proper way to explain what we're seeing on the ice from the Chicago Blackhawks to start. But I've also seen a lot of stuff, Greels, out there about is Jeremy Colleton on the hot seat? Now, my opinion, and it's not even so much my opinion, but more the intel that I've gotten, is that I don't think he is. You know, everyone wants to point the finger towards the coach. I'm not sure that this personnel is really where it needs to be yet. And I've seen some stories, especially that popped up over the weekend, saying, 
playoffs or bust for the Blackhawks. That's not how I see this season for them. They're in a central division that's got five, you know, bona fide playoff teams, at least on paper, Colorado, Winnipeg, Minnesota, Dallas. I think St. Louis is right there in the mix as well. Where exactly do you see them fitting in the mix? And, and what more can you tell us about Jeremy Colleton and what's going on with the Hawks? Well, Frank, I, I look forward to the day that you and I totally disagree. But once again, we are in agreement here. Um, I think you're right. I don't think Jeremy's on the hot seat right now. Um, you know, look around the league. There, there's still teams that have only played one game in the league. You know, we're approaching our one week mark of the season. So, so this season is young. Um, the Hawks, a lot of their high end players are young guys and they have a lot of veterans, but some are just coming back to the team. Some are new to the team. So I, I don't think this is a group that's gelled yet, but again, we're seven days in, uh, I know Stan Bowman thinks extremely highly of his coach. You know, he kind of sought him out a few years back and I'm sure he still believes in him. And if you're believing him in September in August and September of this year, I don't think uh, seven days into the season, you're saying, oh man, you know, we, we got to think about this part. So do I think the Hawks um, will have a battle this year to be a playoff team? I, I certainly do, but I don't think that they're at the point right now where they're not meeting expectations internally. So I, I think there's no pressure there and we're going to see pressure across the league in time with different situations, but this is not why I, where I see pressure. And hey, if we thought there was a ton of pressure on the Hawks right now after a few games, then we should be wondering why the coaches that are 2-0 aren't getting extensions yet. So the season's young, plenty of time. Yeah, and look, important reminders. I think also for me, the players have been vocally very supportive of Jeremy Colleton as well. So I think that's probably a good one to park for now. But I do want to turn our attention to what's also been an interesting story developing north of the border with Canadian team attendance this year. And, and we'll take a look at what those numbers look like at the moment. But what stands out to me is it's been a long time since the Toronto Maple Leafs. I can't even find it since they moved into what is now Scotiabank Arena being under their attendance capacity. Uh, 18,800, you see the first three games, the home dates. Not uh, one Canadian team to this point in what I believe is nine home dates has sold out a game. So the Leafs, we're talking about a 97% capacity. Is that a big deal? 600 uh, seats under capacity, they can sell, out, sell more than that uh, in standing room only. No, it's not. But what I, the reason I wanted to talk about this and highlight it is because when you're looking at these numbers, the Canadian teams in the NHL, even though there's only seven of them in a league of 31 or 32 in the last number of years have counted for upwards of 60% of the total league gate revenue. Obviously, we're still dealing with a pandemic. People aren't all the way back just yet. There's vaccination requirements to enter some of these buildings. And even the people that are vaccinated necessarily don't want to be around a crowd of other people. So there's still some trepidation in some of these markets to come back and totally understand it. But I'm pointing it out from a business perspective because this is really key for the league as they're trying to get revenues back just to where they were before the pandemic hit. And that's been the league's projection. Also knowing that they probably wouldn't be at 100% full in every building. Still important to point out that, you know, in certain circumstances, like in Edmonton, a few thousand seats below capacity. This is going to be a storyline to watch, at least for a little while. Yeah, I totally agree, Frank. I mean, the whole league from owners down to the players, 
they want these buildings full and it impacts future caps and uh, salary caps. So people pay attention to the attendance, even when it's early in the season. Um, I think all the models and the projections and algorithms that were used to predict season ticket sales this year, it was a hard one to do, right? We've never gone through what we saw last year. So, you know, maybe there's going to be some adjustments. You know, there's been some early projections on next year's cap. I hope those are right. You know, like we always want to see this cap go up, but it is it is a story to follow, even though we're a weekend. Like attendance, attendance is something that's crucial to this league. Yeah, and look, the NHL has already told teams they expect an $82.5 million cap next season, need to hit certain revenue targets to get back to the 2019-20 revenue targets in order to get there. Now let's bring in Chris Peters, our daily face-off prospects analyst, with another edition of The Next Wave. He went up to Duluth, Minnesota this past weekend to see the star-studded, uh, wait, are they the Harlem Globetrotters uh, in college hockey, or are they the <laughs> University of Michigan Wolverines? Uh, so many first-round picks in the lineup, and Chris, uh, happy to have you join us. Welcome into the show. Hey, it's great to be with you guys, and yeah, what a, what a display. I mean, really, there's never been a team like this in college hockey. Seven first-round draft picks on one team. Only six were playing because Johnny Beecher is still hurt, but Seven first-rounders on one team, it's it's a record for college hockey. And when you consider that four of the top five picks in the most recent draft are all on this team, we've never seen anything like this before. So, Chris, I want to ask you first about Brendan Brisson. You see him at the top of the list here. And obviously a special player. He was from the 2020 draft, not 2021, going to the Vegas Golden Knights. Has how much of a step forward has he taken in his game to stand out among his peers in this Michigan group? He's taken a huge step forward. I think it starts with his strength, his confidence. Those are two things that just have made him look different this season. Um, you know, he scored a between the legs goal uh, one day at the tournament I was at, and then the next day scored the game winning goal on a one timer. Uh, one of his teammates, Nick Blankenberg, said they've been calling him Ovi Jr. because he loves that. Uh, that one timer, he actually takes it from the right face-off circle instead of the left face-off circle. So um, it, there's a, a minor difference there, but that's really a tool that he's refined over the years. And, you know, I think Mel, Mel Pearson said it yesterday or two days ago where he said Brendan Brisson is probably the most improved player on their team from one year to the next and, and was the, the most improved player on the team from the first half to the second half last season. And, and it took him a while to get going because when you make that jump from the USHL to the to the NCAA, it's a step up. It's faster. You have to do things a little bit quicker. And I think that it took Brisson a little while to find that gear. He's there now, and he's one of the best scorers currently in the country um, with his five goals. And I think that he's going to be a factor throughout the season. I've been really impressed with his maturation. Chris, I want to follow that up. You know, what, what an exciting team to follow this year, and all these NHL fans are going to be following them. So, my question to you is for the Sabres fans, the Kraken fans, the Blue Jacket fans, do you have a player comp or a player that reminds you so much of, say, Powers, Beniers, or Johnson? Like, who are these fans, who are they maybe getting in the future here? Yeah, well, you know, I think they're all exceptional players in their own right, and I think they're going to really define their games uh, on their own. But, I mean, I, I think in terms of comps, you know, I, Owen Power, there, there have been a lot of different ones that we've heard for him. Um, you know, I think because of his size profile, Victor Hedman, but he's not quite as offensive as Victor Hedman. Um, he still has a ways to go to get there. 
Um, you know, he's, he's, he's a left shot. So, you know, you don't have like, you know, I, there are a couple of right shot guys that he reminds me of. I was thinking like, you know, prime Seth Jones, really uh, the, the smoothness of Owen Powers game, the confidence that he has, the, the fact that he is building his offensive game more this year, uh, the way he rushes the puck up the ice and the decisions that he makes, it really does remind me a lot of, of Seth Jones over, you know, the, the years where he was playing really exceptionally. And I know he's taken a bit of a step back these last couple of years, but really, you know, I think that's a guy that, that, that Owen has tried to pattern his game after. And you can see the hallmarks of, of Seth Jones, that, that poise that he has in terms of veneers, you know, I was thinking about it as, as you asked me this, Steve, and it was, it was, you know, it was like, he's somewhere between Ryan Kessler and, and Patrice Bergeron, which is a pretty wide gulf in terms of, of talent, but really, um, so so I was like, well, I guess that kind of makes him Jonathan Taves-ish, you know. I, I think that that's kind of a guy that that kind of falls between there, and and certainly, you know, Matty Beneers is is a, is the total package. He's defensively uh, exceptional. He's physical. He's work has great work ethic. He's wearing a letter this year. He's the only sophomore to have a letter on his jersey as an alternate captain this season. So he's a guy that that has those leadership qualities as well. You know, the thing that he that he does that reminds me more of Taves is Jonathan Taves is an extremely skilled player, but you don't always see that. He doesn't always break out his bag of tricks. And I think that's the same thing with Matty Beneers. He has vision. He has good touch with the puck, but he doesn't have that exceptional dynamic dangling ability, uh, which is what brings me to Kent Johnson, because he does have the exceptional dangling ability. He makes a lot of plays. He has incredible vision. You know, he reminds me of a bigger Johnny Goudreau in terms of you know the way that he plays. Um, you know, I think that he's got to up his pace a little bit, has to, you know, hasten his decision-making just a little bit to maximize the hand skills that he does have. But I mean, you watch him play and he opens up so much ice for everybody else. He makes everyone around him better. He's more of a pass first player, but he does have good scoring ability, really good release on his shot. So uh, those are the types of guys where I'm like, you know, I can see them becoming those types of players. I, I think each of them are going to be significant in terms of their impact on their respective organizations over the over the course of time Owen Power cornerstone defenseman Matty Beneers you know I, I think you could be the face of the Seattle Kraken and, and I don't think that there's ever been outside of Artemi Panarin a player like Kent Johnson that has played for the Columbus Blue Jackets so I'm really excited to see how those guys develop and, and work their way into those organizations yeah Chris Quickly, in 20 seconds, one guy that didn't make the board, Thomas Bordalo, because he's not a first-rounder. Center, <laughs> San Jose Sharks prospect, second on the team in scoring. Where's Bordalo trending? Trending way up. I mean, really, I thought he could have been a first-rounder the year that he was drafted. I think he's one of the Sharks' best prospects. Exceptionally skilled, gifted playmaker, super smart. Made the the game-winning assist on Brisson's overtime, uh, or his, his game-winning goal, uh, just an incredible play. He's so smart. He's going to be on Team USA at the World Juniors. I think fans are going to get a real good idea of what he's capable of because the skill level and the work ethic that he combines on the ice really make him an exceptional player. He's not a big guy, but he's very fun to watch. Great insight from Chris, who was up at uh, Minnesota Duluth, checking out the University of Michigan. We've got a full recap on dailyfaceoff.com, including individual updates on each of the players that we talked about. So head there to check out his latest. Chris, this is a story that we're going to be following all year long. Looking forward to talking to you soon. All right. Sounds great, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Chris.
All right, now over to the DFO inbox question of the day. You can always ask us on Twitter, hashtag AskDFO. And this one actually comes to us from Jason Greger in Edmonton because he asked it earlier this morning on the DFO rundown. Kind of a crazy little play sequence in last night's game in Calgary. A puck is heading out of play from the defensive zone, which would result in a two-minute penalty. Matthew Kachuk, this crazy athletic play to stand up on the bench and bat it down with a stick. Of course, that's a penalty. You can't play the puck from the bench. But the question here is, Steve, should there have been two minor penalties on the play? Because in this case, the puck was already heading out, and that was going to be a minor and then Kachuk touches it. Is that two penalties? Why did it end up just being one? I talked to Tim Peel, our NHL rules analyst. He said, no, look, one is fine there on that sequence, but still interesting nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, great question. Hilarious play. Classic Kachuk family to me, you know, whether it's Walt, Matthew, Brady. Uh, I saw someone say that Matthew was protecting a young fan. And I thought that's the best uh, answer I've heard. Yeah, he's just, he just looking out for the fans, you know. So so good on Matthew. Uh, but I loved it. Has to make you laugh. Kind of a hockey blooper that we haven't seen before and will stick around for a long time. But uh, classic Kachuk family and certainly gave me a really good laugh. Yeah, and I also love that he was, like, incredulous on his way to the box. Like, me? What What did I do? Like, why is this a penalty? So he had oh, to yeah. have known he's been around the game a long time, but still pretty awesome uh, seen in Calgary, even though I'm not certain that their team loves that they were killing that penalty. But like I said, it was heading out anyway. So let's tap into the daily face-off, daily best bets. We'll bring in Tyler Uremchuk. What do you see? What do you love tonight? There's a lot that I see in love. And the best bets, as always, is sponsored by our friends over at PointsBet. And there's actually four games I want to touch on here. This slate tonight is really, really appetizing to me. Uh, first, Detroit. I saw on Detroit Hockey Now on Twitter, they're actually favorites for the first time in 107 games tonight against the Blue Jackets. And I'll be honest, I don't get it. I like the Jackets as underdogs here. They're like plus seven through the first two games. They're 2-0. and oh. I get that it's a road game. It's in Detroit. But that's kind of my bonus one that just came to me here in the last few minutes during the show. I like Columbus as underdogs. But the big plays I want to talk about tonight, you see them on the board. Colorado, Washington. Nate Mack is back for the Avs. They're coming off a loss on Saturday against the St. Louis Blues. But they're rested. They'll have Kemper between the pipes. And, you know, they had they have a plus seven or sorry, they've scored seven goals in two games without McKinnon. I like their offense to keep rolling with their big score back in the lineup. So Colorado at minus 121, that line has been shifting towards Colorado throughout the morning. So if you want to get in on it, I'd say jump pretty quickly here on the Avs money line. And uh, the second game there, you see Seattle in New Jersey. The Kraken got blown out by the Flyers last night. And there's, they've been in some pretty high-scoring games so far through four games. 24 total goals for the Seattle Kraken. That's goals for and goals against. And in the Devils season opener, there was a combined seven. So it's plus 100 to go over six. And I think that's a solid bet as well. And the last game I wanted to touch on here is right in my backyard where the Edmonton Oilers will take on an American opponent for the first time in 589 days. They're finally done playing just Canadian teams. The big one here for me is the goalie matchup. If it is indeed Anthony Stolarz going for the Anaheim Ducks, we know it's going to be Mike Smith going for the Oilers. That's a big advantage for Edmonton in this game. 
I mean, you can see they're massive favorites. They're easily the biggest favorites on the slate here tonight. So if you want any value, you got to go with the puck line. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. I get that Edmonton has had some trouble. Uh, you know, uh, they've been allowing too many shots through two games this season. But the Ducks have allowed more shots per game than the Oilers at even strength so far this year. So the Ducks are also 32nd in shots four per 60 at even strength. I like Edmonton to dominate this game, and I'm taking Edmonton on the puck line at minus one and a half and minus 105. Spoken like a true Edmontonian there. Tyler, uh, thanks a lot. Uh, lots to digest nice there is. on the front, that front. But if you're interested, as you said, in the abs, might want to get in now. Nathan McKinnon, as you said, is back. Gabriel Landeskog serving the final game of his suspension, so he'll be back soon. Just a couple other quick hits around the league this morning. Mike Hoffman will make his debut for the Montreal Canadiens. Matthew Perot is a healthy scratch. And that leaves us with my favorite time of the show. And I think that means I like it so much because it means we're almost done. But in this case, I'm always interested to hear what my co-host has to say. Steve Greeley, what's caught your attention? What's caught your eye from around the league? What are you feeling passionate about as we head to garbage time? Garbage time today brings me to overtime. You watched that Rangers-Toronto game last night. Unbelievable. Back and forth. Austin Matthews one way, Panarin the other. Fox coming down. Marner coming down. How do we extend overtime? I did not want it to end. Fortunately, Panarin got one for the Rangers, so we didn't have to go to the shootout. I've always liked the shootout. But that three-on-three, three, when these teams are racing back and forth, has you on the edge of your seat. The coaches, the managers, the players, they, they're into it. And I, I think if I'm a player and I'm a high-end player, I certainly want longer overtime so I can get a few extra points and maybe pad that next contract. So keep the overtimes going. Find a way to extend it a little bit more than the five minutes, and we'll see a, a ton of offense, and I'm enjoying it already this year. So you're saying three-on-three three overtime is not garbage time. Got it. Um, yeah, I yeah, mean, it's, right. it's fascinating to, to watch. I mean, I think you're the only person I've ever heard say that they enjoy the shootout. Like, I'm with you. Like, let's just play three-on-three three until it ends. How late could it possibly go? Eight minutes, 12 minutes? I mean, what are we really talking about over the grand scheme of the season? But alas, that's a debate for another day because that is all the time that we have. Thanks so much for joining us on today's edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. In the meantime, keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com for all the latest news, insight, and analysis from around the National Hockey League. And we'll see you right back here tomorrow with Mike McKenna. Have a good day, everyone. Thanks for watching the Daily Faceoff Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode.